Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast, where we discuss the world of IT and cybersecurity. Don't be left in the dark about what's going on in the world around you. Here is your host, Joe Gray. Welcome to another episode of the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gray. Before we get started, the thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of mine or my guests' employers, past, present, or future. With me this evening is Paul Coggin. Paul is an information security engineer and red teamer for a very large financial institution. He has well over 20 years experience in information technology and information security. He has certifications from everybody and their brother to include EC Council, ISC Squared, Cisco, SANS, and more. He has a master's degree in information assurance and security, and he is one of the organizers of B-Sides Huntsville. Paul, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, come and uh, spend a little time with us. Since I've given kind of the brief overview of you as a whole, tell us more about you. Well, I'm born and raised here in Huntsville, Alabama. As you said, I've been in the IT industry for over 20 years, been involved with information security, penetration testing since... By roughly 1999, I, I guess, is uh, when I got into uh, consulting, and I spent a great deal of time, as you mentioned, uh, going around the world, speaking at security conferences regarding topics related to uh, network infrastructure security, network protocols. Excellent. For this evening's episode, instead of the news, just to kind of go back and forth for a short discussion about a, a topic, what are your thoughts on the Internet of Things? I know you're going to come with a completely different perspective than what most people are coming up with, just because I know of your heavy networking back. With the Internet of Things, I'm extremely excited because I see unlimited job security coming. Because <laughs> knowing what I know about what we've done in the past with ICS SCADA, the industrial control systems and SCADA systems, that you know, with specialized sensors, specialized devices that are deployed in critical infrastructure, uh, those type of networks have typically not been secured properly. Now we're doing the, the whole Internet of Things with uh, similar technologies. I'm concerned that we're not going to have the infrastructure properly secured and, and locked down for these devices, much less the uh, endpoints themselves, but the, net, but the trust relationships in the network. I don't believe we're going to be uh, addressed. And, and I couldn't agree more. To take a... Some words that I heard from a mutual friend of ours, Ed Rojas, the S in IoT stands for security. So, so from my standpoint, there's a, a whole new domain for IoT for the network called fault computing, where that's going to be the network infrastructure that is going to aggregate all these IoT sensors, specialized devices, and collect logging, collect anal- you know, the uh, analytics, you know, to drop that buzzword tonight, into it out there at the edge of these networks. There's going to be a whole new playing field to, to not only get operational from an IT standpoint, but to secure all the way from layer two up to layer seven uh, and lock down those trust relationships and get visibility and instrumentation on those networks uh, it's going to be a huge it's going to be a huge opportunity i i tend to agree with you uh do you think that it's going to get better before or worse before it gets better well all things being consistent it's going to be low-hanging fruit i mean you you can just go out to showdown and see what's being put out there now 
I don't see how things could get any worse because you either implemented security or you don't in the endpoint device all the way up through the fault computing infrastructure on up, you know, to your uh, aggregation networks, your core network, up to your data centers. So things in many cases have not been implemented securely. So, I mean, I don't see how it could get worse. So over time, maybe a standard, standard architectures get rolled out. Compliance catches up, maybe regulatory compliance I've heard buzzwords and conversations on uh, some a few news channels where there may be some regulatory compliance coming toward IoT because of the threat it's going to create. Maybe things will get better, but I don't see how they can get worse. I guess anything can always get worse, but I would tend to agree with you. Can you explain a little bit more about what Fog Network is? Well, the Fog Network is going to be where your your Internet of Things devices, your sensors are, are getting onto the network, you know, the Wi-Fi, the, the uh, 4G, the, the, uh, your, first, your first hop, those first initial hops into the network where all those sensors are being aggregated and you may have some uh, storage pushed out to the edge of the network to gather logging and the, uh, the analytic data that is going to be uh, used for, you know, data mining. You know the whole big data application, depending on what industry it is. But that's what but the fault computing is basically going to be the network for the IoT. It, and like I said, you know, it may be, you know, from you know, I'm a, a lot of you guys that uh, know who I am and know about me. You know, I've got my backgrounds in network infrastructure. It's a lot of Cisco. So you might end up having out at the edge of the of an IoT network, say a Cisco router, for example, that also has a storage capability, so that you're with the switch and and additional visualization and instrumentation capabilities in it to monitor the uh, IoT network and be collecting that analytic data right out there at the edge and then backhauling that data across your MPLS network, maybe across your SD-WAN network. You know, a lot of people are going to SD-WAN or, you know, your traditional VPN, backhauling that up to where all the data is being aggregated and all the analytics are being performed. But you're going to have a fall, the fall computing network is going to be basically where all the ILT is initially being aggregated together. Perfect. And having heard you speak at conferences like Hacker Halted and knowing that your background was heavy in networking, that's exactly why I wanted to get your cut on the Internet of Things because oftentimes when you hear people talking about the Internet of Things, you're hearing it more from a an application perspective as opposed to the networking angle and you know just like you said uh, before we came on a lot of people worry about layer one and layers four through seven they they forget all about uh, layer two and three yeah that, that initial that transport network your layer one say your radio wi-fi 3g 4g microwave network all the way up to you know the ethernet you know your ip stack whether it's ipv4 ipv6 all of that's got to be addressed in those trust relationships for how all that network infrastructure for those different layers is being managed and secured what i like what i try to if, if you're like going to talk about the internet of things and fault computing or, or any other kind of network the way i like to look at things are how are you going to secure and defend and monitor and get visualization on the control plane, the data plane, and the management plane of that network. You know, the management plane isolate how it's how that infrastructure is managed locally and remotely. And then you've got the data forwarding plane where all the the application traffic is flowing, the user traffic, and then the control traffic and the control plane traffic. 
is where there's a lot of low-hanging fruit as well is where the devices are communication where you have that device device communication so you might have internet of things sensors communicating with each other or you might have network devices say routers switches communicating on standard based or proprietary protocols and making sure that those comms are secure from the management plane there's the in-band management you know you're doing your uh, say your ssh god help you telnet you know a lot of people still use telnet though they tell the auditors that they don't they really do once you get down into in there and check them thoroughly so you have your in-band with your telnet your ssh your maybe ssl that they're authenticating with but what about that out-of-band it, those out-of-band networks and trust relationships where they may be coming in through out-of-band networks and all that infrastructure is locked down or make sure it's all locked down and then and the big the big concern i have with the whole iot and the, all these sensors that are being thrown out is what i prefer to is the vendor persistent threat the vpt uh, everybody's worried about the apt better worry about the vpt that vendor persistent threat uh where these vendors are going to be coming in out of band and in band to these new networks that are being deployed and make sure that the that that is locked down securely with, say, some kind of two-factor authentication to make sure that trust relationship is locked down and you know who's coming into those networks, when they're coming in, why do they come into the network, what are they doing when they come in, is it authorized and expected. Some of the things uh, to be considered when you're building out these IoT fall computing networks. Awesome. That's that's a lot to uh, ingest. And I really like your discussion about the the vendor persistent threat because – that's something we're seeing more and more of now, just inside of IoT and outside of IoT. Things are phoning home more frequently. In the security world, we see that frequently with like uh, intrusion detection systems having to get new definitions or, or even malware protection. What happens when that vector gets poisoned? Per se, it, it's long been a problem with critical infrastructure, the ICS SCADA industry, it's and uh, telecommunications industry, and other really large complex networks. You've always you've always had these specialized hardware and software solutions where the vendors need remote access in to keep these systems running, and and you and if you work in a consulting facet long enough, you'll probably see customer contracts where the vendors require, it's in writing, if you buy this system, you will provide remote access for remote support because the, the solution is complex. It's not well understood because especially with IoT, there is, there's a whole lot of new functionality that's being rolled out. So the, the, it's going to require, in some cases, the vendors to help keep it running just like a complex industrial control system, SCADA system would, or say a telephone company that's rolling out IPTV or rolling out a new voice over IP solution you know, for hundreds of thousands of, of people. It's a complex solution and the vendors are going to want to come in and be remotely support you so they can make sure that the system works okay and that you're satisfied with with what you purchased and you know you got help when you need it you've got to make sure you've got visualization and instrumentation on that to know where the vendor what the vendors are doing and where they're going once they get that access and whatever they're doing is authorized and expected one thing one of the things that i recommend people consider you know there's nothing nothing perfect there's always somebody that can outsmart you and find a way in to defeat defeat a security control so but one of the things that i recommend just to get started is to do something uh, for the vendors coming in the network is some kind of two factor authentication 
where they may have, say, a key fob, or actually they may have the, they may know, they may have the part of the password that they know, but 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 the business, the end customer has the key fob, and for them to get in, they have to call someone and coordinate and get authorized by local staff, and it be documented that they need access, and they have to, you know, go through some verification process to be vetted to make sure before you give them whatever the uh, temporary password is, you know, whether it's hardware or software generated, before they can get in into the network just so that they're not coming in unchallenged. Because what, happen, what happens is that, that, what happens if that vendor gets hacked or the vendor's engineer, the vendor's tech support, the vendor's field engineer, if their laptop gets popped, then, you know, the, the bad guys piggyback on their network to come into your network, exploit that trust relationship. So those are the kind of things that I think about with all this uh, IoT fall computing. Excellent. And, you know, you brought up a lot of really good points, especially with uh, with the, the final segment about uh, vendor access, because I just recently wrote a blog post about supply chain security. I looked at it from the perspective of the, the dine or den denial of service uh, and how that impacts downstream companies. But, you know, you just absolutely went head on uh, with a solution that could have saved Target whenever they had their problem because Target themselves were not initially compromised. It was a vendor who had access to Target. Right. And, and one part of my background, one of my areas that I used to specialize in was service provider telecommunication networks. And I would even see where the vendors would go in and put in, say, a multi-home Linux box with one leg into the, to the customer network and then We'll say maybe it's a, a a cable new cable IPTV basically cable TV over IP solution or a soft switch which is basically voice over IP that scales to tens and hundreds of thousands of customers. Whenever those solutions would get put in, the vendor would would drop in some kind of, say, like a, a multi-home Linux box or firewall where they could get remote access in. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that solution get hacked by something that's by, uh, you know, default accounts or open SSH brute force because it was, you know, no, no account lockout and it was just wide open. The trust, the trust relationship was not locked down. And then the organization gets popped. And, and then they end up only finding out because some bank in Europe or some other organization in some part of the world, you know, calls them and, you know, to cease and desist because they had no visibility in what that vendor put in. And it was written into the contract that this is the way it was going to be. And and one of the, the other things that, I'll, that, that needs to be considered is just to bring that needs to be talked about in the community is I was seeing a lot of these solutions get put in. And I'm afraid of this with the IoT and fall computing. Is it is the organ the parts of these large organizations that are rolling this out? They have their own budget and they have their own vendor relationships, and they have the authority inside of uh, the parent organization to bypass the IT security team and put in whatever they have to to bring some new business capability online without in without involving the uh, network admin, network engineers, security engineers that may be on staff that could help them implement that solution, but implement it securely and ask the hard questions 
and that's where I see things. Where I've seen things in the past fall apart is this: is the network and security team have not been brought in to work with the vendors to make the make sure things have been done right. Uh, and then, then security gets bolted on after it's been rolled out because you know there's some big hack. It never fails. It's job security for consultants, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, and and that last part about uh, bypassing security in the network admins. Uh, that just screams Yahoo uh, to hit on current events and go ahead and kick Yahoo while they're down. So uh, never miss an opportunity to do that. On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Paul is going to tell us about B-Sides Huntsville. And then we will talk about software defined networking. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a place to advertise to the unique audience of IT security professionals and enthusiasts? Look no further. Advanced Persistent Security is seeking sponsors. This slot could be yours. Contact sales at advancedpersistentsecurity.net for more information. And we're back from our break. With me this evening is Paul Coggan. We have had a discussion about the Internet of Things from a networking professional's perspective. Now I'm going to turn the floor over to Paul and let him tell us all about an event that he is an organizer for, and that is B-Sides Huntsville. Paul, the floor is yours. Thank you. So, so February the 4th, we will have B-Sides Huntsville. It will be hosted at the Dianetics facility at their what they call the Solutions Complex in Huntsville, Alabama. It's a very nice facility that they sponsor us every year and let us hold our conference at. Anyone that's attended B-Sides Huntsville will tell you it's a very nice facility. This year, we have, I believe, 16 speakers from across the country. We have both local speakers. We have speakers that are uh, internationally renowned. We have two tracks. So we'll have two parallel tracks of speakers uh, for the event. Uh, and we're very proud to say that uh, our good friend Adrian Crenshaw, the Iron Geek, is yet again coming to Huntsville to uh, record uh, all the tracks for us and uh, bringing uh, all of his lock pick picking equipment with him and the uh, the team from Augusta Lock Sports. They're also going to be coming to uh, help everyone learn how to pick locks at the event. Uh, it's going to be a uh, really good time. I encourage anyone that's going to come to B-Sides Huntsville, if you're from out of town, to give yourself an extra day on the front or back end of your trip to uh, see the Space and Rocket Center. If you if you have not seen that, that is something. If you come to Huntsville, is a uh, you know do not miss. Uh, it's pretty pretty awesome. If you're interested in space, rockets, satellites, things like that, it's, it's awesome to see. But uh, this, I believe, this might be. A, I want to say this is our fifth B-Sides Huntsville. It's hard to believe that we've been doing B-Sides Huntsville this long. I came up with the idea, I guess, from like 2011 and talking with one of the people who helps us run it, Dr. Charlene Nixon. We started talking about this idea of doing B-Sides Huntsville and I decided to sign up and, and do it. Now we're having, this is going to be our fifth year to uh, to run the event. We, right now we... We have probably around 120, a little over 120 people that that will be at the event. I expect by the fourth, probably be around uh, 150 people, uh, roughly, that will be at the event. We usually we usually run between 125 to 135 people at the event, so it's usually a real healthy. Besides, 
And uh, one of the things I always tell everyone, it's a really good deal to come to B-Sides Haunts where you get all the Krispy Kreme donuts and Papa John's pizza you can eat. <laughs> uh, and a lot of really good speakers and uh, a lot of really good networking. If you have not attended a B-Sides event, highly encourage you to go and check out your local B-Sides events and support them. And if you don't have a B-Sides in your area, please come and be a part of B-Sides Huntsville. It's a, it's a welcome. It's open to everyone. The one thing I would say about the B-Sides, we're open to everyone attending and participating uh, the event. But if you, but because of the facility uh, that we're hosting the event, if you are not a U.S. citizen, I need to know, uh, you need to go out to the to website and uh, when you register, notify us so that we can make sure we get the right paperwork put in place before you can attend. Uh, that's but but uh, everyone is welcome to attend. We just if you're not a U.S. citizen, we just need to know ahead of time where we can get everything uh, taken care of for the facility due to the nature of work that is done there. It's going to be a great event. Hope everyone turns out for it. Excellent. So uh, this is going to be my fourth B-sides event. I've attended B-sides Atlanta, B-sides Augusta, B-sides Knoxville, uh, and then of course in April I'm going to be speaking at B-sides Charm. So for someone who's never been to a B-sides what should they expect? Well, all of the B-sides have their own personality, but the big spirit of B-sides is to give is equal playing field for everyone to give uh, new speakers an opportunity to share their research and ideas. It's a equal playing field for everyone. There's no, it's not for just the rock stars. It's for everyone to come and participate and share and speak. Uh, and uh, another big part of B-Sides, if you've not attended a B-Sides, is it, uh, there's marketing and sales is not a part of the B-Sides. It's all about networking, sharing, technology, but, but it's, not a, it's not your typical conference where you'd have a great deal of, of sales and marketing. You come to, you come to B-Sides Huntsville, you will not see any sales, you will not see any, any marketing, there will be no booths or exhibits permitted at B-Sides Huntsville. We have sponsors. We do not have any kind of uh, marketing and sales permitted at the event at all. That's It's always purely a raw con, and you'll see that B-Sides uh, across the country and around the world. B-Sides has really taken off. There's B-Sides happening around the world. If you go out to securitybsides.com, if, you if you have, you're not aware of it, you might be amazed to see all the B-Sides conferences that are occurring. I've been very fortunate to go to a number of B-Sides across the U.S., and uh, and I've been to B-Sides Vienna in Austria twice, and I will be attending the very first B-Sides Budapest in March. They're, but B-Sides are one of my favorite events because it's, it's uh, just really, really good opportunity to network and have technical conversations and uh, just meet lots of new friends. I agree 100%. My experience with B-Sides has been very positive. I've seen some B-Sides with booths, but you know they had their own dedicated area. They weren't out harassing you to buy their product right. or you didn't have to go and get them you didn't have to go and get them to stamp your crossword puzzle or something and force conversation right. and them to get your contact information or any of that. If you went up it was purely on your own volition. But some of the best talks I've seen have actually been at B-sides. For example, this past year at DEFCON, and I believe again at DerbyCon, Adam Compton showed us the advanced, or I'm sorry, automated pen test tool, APT2, 
Well, back in May, he actually presented that at B-Sides Knoxville. So you can see a lot of the true up-and-comers as well. B-Sides, you know, my experience with B-Sides has been very positive. You know, just like Paul said, it's a community event. And to continue to echo, if your area doesn't have one and you want one, reach out and see, uh, see what you can do. Uh, reach out to your ISSA chapter, your your local DEFCON group, 2600 ISC squared, and what have you. Because, I mean, the thing about B-Sides is it's also a low-cost event. You're not paying $2,000 to go to the event. I've been to one B-Sides that was free, uh, B-Sides Huntsville. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's $10. And That's the correct. most I, I think the most I've ever paid for a B-Sides is $35. And right. for what you're getting, it's well worth it. Yeah, yeah, we charge $10, and the reason being is I do not want to have to go out and have pressure to solicit sponsors, and the 10 bucks pays for for all the food and drinks for the day, and it, allow, it permits us to have zero concern about sponsors because uh, if we go over, I'll cover it out of pocket and without it being you know a, uh, a big issue. So we can keep it. We can keep it focused on, on the being a community-based event without any any pressure for sales and marketing. But I, like you said, though, I, I encourage people that if there's not a B sides in your area, when I signed up for B sides Huntsville, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had zero experience uh, uh, coordinating an event, but I have to tell you, it is not that hard. I, have, I run B-Sides Huntsville. I have a few people that help us uh, make it happen every year. We make it happen with very little effort, and we have a, the feedback we get, it's a pretty positive con. The biggest challenge you're going to have if you want to do on the B-Sides, the, the biggest effort is to find a facility. Once you find a facility, that is the hardest part. And then, you know, you run your call for papers, and you might have enough responses for, say, one track, maybe two tracks. Maybe even more. And then you can figure if you want to go free and serve food and drinks, refreshments, then you're going to have to go, you know, get your speakers or you charge a little bit to, to take that risk away and take that pressure off of you. It just depends on, you know, what, how you want to run your con. But it's, but I encourage, I encourage people that are listening, if there's not a B sides in your area, step up uh, and consider, talk to the security B sides team and they will tell you what's involved. And if you decide to jump in, feel free to reach out to me because I would be glad to help you and uh, give you some advice about how to get started and how to run your B-sides and make it a low-pressure, minimal-effort event. Excellent. So who are some of the speakers that you're having this year, and do you have a theme, and what are people going to be talking about this year? We have a, uh, a wide variety of talks from malware, forensics, uh, darknet, threat intelligence. Uh, we have Dave Cronister, who's going to be our keynote. Dave Cronister... Uh, and his wife, uh, Renee, run Parameter Security out of St. Louis. Uh, we have Amir Lenecki. Uh, Le- Amir works for Cisco. Uh, he's a world-renowned expert uh, with uh, both Cisco networking, threat intelligence, uh, Darknet. Uh, Amir's just uh, just he also runs the uh, Doctor Chaos site, and he's authored a few books. The, there's a few examples. Uh, we have um, a gentleman coming from uh, another gentleman coming from Cisco to speak at the event, and we have some local speakers that are coming that are into like social engineering, for example. Uh, it's just a it's, a it's a wide wide array of talks uh, at the, that are going to be at the event. Like I said, we're going to have two tracks. 
they're packed. Uh, one of the things we do at B sides Huntsville is we try not we try not to turn anyone away. Uh, if people submit, we will squeeze the schedule to try to give everyone an opportunity to speak. So, yeah, if someone wants to speak and you want to go uh, try out public speaking, and you want to do it to try it in um, in a very friendly, informal environment, please consider coming to B-Sides Huntsville. We will, if you've got a, a good technical topic, we will, uh, you know, next year we'd accept the talk and uh, give you an opportunity to uh, to speak. Sounds good. So expect some social engineering and OSINT out of uh, me in uh, 2018 in Huntsville. And, you know, I never really thought about this. Being from Tennessee, obviously, you know, Tennessee and Alabama, they're, they're rivals in football. So I don't think we need to go down that rabbit hole anymore. But I didn't realize how in, in, in tune with the tech industry, Huntsville and Birmingham and Alabama are. Yeah, Huntsville, Huntsville uh, a lot of people... M- I may not know this, but Huntsville has more PhDs per capita than anywhere in the world. Last hour, some statistics I heard not uh, not too long ago. It's been a trend for actually many years that, that we have just a huge uh, number of PhDs, citizens with with uh, graduate education. It's uh, the third largest research park in the world. We're uh, third only to uh, Raleigh-Durham. RTP and uh, Silicon Valley, but uh, Huntsville, Huntsville is uh, got a very high density of engineers and scientists. A lot of technology here. As a result of DoD, uh, NASA, there's a, just a huge presence for DoD here. NASA, AdTrans here. A lot of high tech firms are look at you at you know Intergraph. Uh, there's a lot of hardware, software companies here. Absolutely. And, you know, there for a while, EC Council was hosting Takedown Con in Huntsville, if I recall correctly. And I think they had a hacker halted there as well. They had Takedown Con. I, I worked with EC Council to get them to come to Huntsville. And they hosted like four, I believe it was like four Takedown Cons in Huntsville. Uh, and the ISSA, the North Alabama ISSA uh, chapter, there's a organization called Cyber Huntsville. They run a a very large security conference every year in the summer. Is that one affiliated with Cyber Alabama, the one that uh, is having Bruce Schneier and Dave Shackelford keynote this year? I would have to look at that. I'm not. I would have not. I'm not aware of Cyber Alabama, but the North Alabama ISSA they it's it, it runs about 500. My understanding is about 500 attendees, some somewhere around that plus or minus. Excellent. It's a I've been. I have not been able to attend in many years because the nature of my previous employer employment. I was always on the road, traveling and speaking somewhere else. <laughs> I couldn't be at home at a, at a local conference. I was always somewhere else in the world. I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to try to attend this year. But it's a it's a big conference we have here in Huntsville as well. But there's a very high density population density of uh, engineers and scientists, and and we have a it's a very high population. Of information security professionals here again due to the nature of the work it's here and that makes perfect sense back on the b-sides train for a moment if someone attending b-sides is in the market for a new job do you encourage them to bring their resume and maybe some business cards uh, with their contact information with them to the event because you know of who they may run into yeah there's a there are a lot of employers that will be represented at b-sides huntsville and there's always there's always organizations that are hiring 
and looking for talent. So B-Sides Huntsville is a really, really good place to to uh, network and meet people. And if you're you're looking for your next opportunity, I would encourage you to bring business cards, resume if you have it, and take advantage of the opportunity to meet meet others who might be able to help you with get your next get your next job. I will I will say this. The position I have today is because I spoke at B-Sides Raleigh a few years ago, and my boss saw me speak at B-Sides Raleigh, and that was the uh, actually, I believe, the first B-Sides Raleigh, and uh, I had no idea that my future employer was uh, listening to me speak at uh, B-Sides Raleigh. B-Sides, I'm a huge believer in B-Sides as a way to network, find future employment opportunities. I'm a prime example of it. And I've got a wonderful position. Now, I had a great job before. I loved my old job. I have a, I have an insanely fantastic position. It's sick how much I love my job. Let's just say that. Uh, and, and, I, and it's all because of the networking opportunities at uh, B-Sides, the exposure that I got. I, I would say, you know, I, 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 I expected to be approached in years past at some of the really large venues that I might attend and speak at, but it was at a B-Sides that the killer job opportunity found me. And, you know, just for the attendees, going to a B-Sides is more than just listening to talks and having hallway con, because don't get me wrong, hallway con is awesome. Sometimes you, you forget about the talk that you were absolutely stoked to see because you get wrapped up in a really good hallway con. But here's the thing. If you're in the market for a position and you're going to something like B-Sides, that shows a couple of things to prospective employers. It shows that you're passionate about your career and you know you'll frequently hear it on this podcast you can't teach passion and enthusiasm but you can teach uh, security skills and you can help people get experience so going to these events they show that you're dedicated and that you are passionate about it and I mean, it's not going to get you hired, but it's going to help you out with a leg up because some of the most popular interview questions I've heard uh, would be, tell me about your home lab and tell me about the information security uh, organizations you're a member of and events you attend. And if you list a bunch of B-sides, you know, a Hacker Halted, a DEF CON, a Derby CON, a Circle City CON, or what have you, if you are identical uh, culturally and experience-wise to the next person, you, you have a better chance of getting picked up. That's right. It's, it makes a big difference. I, I was surprised how how much that helps to show that you're out there networking, that you're taking advantage of your InfraGuard, the ISSA, uh, the local B-sides, and that you're showing that you're engaged and you're just not you're not just collecting a paycheck, that you're actually, you know, you're engaged and you're passionate. Absolutely. And honestly, in my opinion, I learn more at events like B-sides and other similar events than I would from, say, uh, listening to webinars uh, in, in many cases, because with a webinar, you know, I'm not going to hate too hard on them, but oftentimes webinars are sales oriented. They're sales pitches. You don't necessarily get that at these events. And sometimes, you know, like I said, with the hallway con, you can have conversations with people that stimulate your mind and it could be someone you end up collaborating with on some sort of project later, albeit you know, maybe a pet project, but nonetheless. Yeah, I've made some. I've made friends at some of the B sides that I've had for years now uh, around the world. B sides is just a. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it f- to encourage others to get involved. You know, it's usually typically it's free. You, you know, you may have some that charge ten, fifteen bucks 
maybe more depending on uh, the geography, the economics of that area. They're always very, very good events, well worth uh, getting engaged with. I encourage people to uh, volunteer. If you really want to network, you, you, you really want to exploit the opportunity to go and volunteer and be a part of the event. The B-sides are always looking for volunteers, and that's a really great way to go and to uh, fully experience and exploit all the opportunity to go and help record, you know, work the tables, you know, the registration table, help with food, what have you. You know, it's a good way to go and, uh, and get engaged. Absolutely. With this B-sides, is it kid-friendly, and is this something that someone that they're not necessarily, they may not even be in IT, they may not be in security they just want to get a taste for what it is is this an event for them yes the b-sides is typically open to everyone b-sides huntsville is absolutely open to everyone kids we highly encourage uh you know middle schoolers high school college students to get involved we had a couple years where we had high school students actually speak and present and so it's the event is open to everyone to attend and participate and uh, be a part of their community besides it's a community-based event and everyone is encouraged to come out you might be come from might be just a hobby you might be just curious about information security and uh, technology. It's open to everyone to come and attend and learn. You don't have to be an, you don't have to be an infosec rock star to attend. Excellent, excellent. So to summarize the segment, uh, reiterate the date, the location, time, the website. Of course, the CFP is closed, but uh, everything else, all the pertinent information for the event. Well, one thing I'll say is B Size Huntsville runs the first Saturday of February every year. If you're, if you're curious about B-Sides Huntsville, it's always going, as long as I can help it, it's going to be the first Saturday in February. Uh, the website is bsideshuntsville.org. The date is February the 4th. The cost is $10. You can go to the bsideshuntsville.org uh, website and register. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at B-Sides Huntsville. Uh, and the location, again, is at the uh, Dianetics Solutions Complex in Research Park in Huntsville, Alabama. If you go to the B-Sides Huntsville website, you'll find all the information. We hope everyone uh, that has an interest will attend and uh, participate. And maybe next year, submit a, a, a talk and, and come and present. Excellent. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Are you subscribed to this podcast? If not, please do so on iTunes and at advancedpersistentsecurity.net slash podcast. Attention listeners, have you ever been interested in recording a podcast of your own, whether it be information security, technology, cooking, or even flags? Look no further. Zencaster is here. Zencaster is a cloud-based online solution that provides each guest with a separate track. Wave files, built-in voice over IP, cloud drive integration, automatic post-production, and a soundboard for live editing. If you are interested, go to Zencaster.com, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com, and enter coupon code APSPODCAST20 for a 20% discount. Once again, that is Zencaster, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. I hope to listen to you soon. And we're back from the break. With me this evening is Paul Coggin. We've talked about the Internet of Things. We've talked about B-Sides Huntsville. You're going to hear about it again, so just brace yourself. But now we're going to talk a little bit about software-defined networking. And this is some mysterious thing that we hear about quite a bit these days, but it hasn't really gotten 
the mainstream data explosion in terms of knowledge yet. With that being said, I'm not discounting it in any way. I'm just saying that it's not quite become a household name yet. Paul, tell us a little bit more about software-defined networking. Okay. I, I fondly refer to software-defined networking as the network apocalypse, or as my friend uh, Adrian Crenshaw referred to it, he shortened it up for me to netpocalypse. I swear I'm going to do a presentation probably next year on the netpocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> but but basically, here's what's going on with SDN from an old school router guy standpoint. You know, I cut my teeth in like 1997s when I programmed my first router. So I'm com- I'm coming, you know, 20 years experience programming routers and switches. And SDN is awesome. It's going to be really good stuff. You got uh, multiple flavors of implementations. Uh, architectures for what's being called SDN. You have uh, the VMware NSX solution, which is like a software-based overlay across your existing traditional physical network. So you might have the Brocade, the Juniper, the Cisco, HP uh, switches. You got your VLANs, and you're doing a little, maybe doing a little bit of routing. Well, you could go and take, you know, your VMware NSX and overlay a software-based network where you're virtualized the routing and switching uh, in a VMware environment. And that could be software-defined. And, and and what I've seen with the VMware NSX solution, it's rock solid. I'm very impressed with it. From a, uh, It's a very, very rock-solid, impressive solution. I haven't worked with it personally in a production environment, but what I've played with it with their online demos, uh, very solid solution. Uh, I really like it. And then uh, what most people think about with software-defined networking is OpenFlow, the OpenFlow protocol. Uh, And what you have with that architecture is you have your switches that you would deploy out to, say, your comm closets and, and, and say, through your data center, your say, your top of rack in your data center and aggregating your servers, various equipment. But... But in the case with the software-defined network with the OpenFlow architecture, you're, you're going to implement all the configuration. All the intelligence is going to be centralized in a function we call a controller, which is you know, be like a server, maybe running uh, in a VM, for example. And there's like ONOS is one that's, that you might check out for a uh, SDN controller. And what will happen is you'll put in all of your policy, all of the configuration that you would normally do in your routers, in your switches, you would, you would instead do centralized in your controller. It could be the ONOS or it could be the Open Daylight controller, for example. Now, there's numerous controllers out there. HP has one. Lots of the vendors have developed their own custom controller for these SDN OpenFlow networks, but you can go and download and play with, if you choose, if you would like, the uh, ONOS controller. And I will say, oh, just give you some background. ONOS is geared towards service providers, and then Open Daylight, though it can be used by service providers, it's it's probably going to be adopted more by the enterprises. And then what's going to happen? So you're going to go and configure that controller, and that's where it's going to con- communicate to the switches and tell the switches how they're going in the routers. It's going to tell them how they're going to function. 
and how they're going to forward traffic based on criteria. And, and that controller is going, from a functionality standpoint, that controller is going to talk to your network devices on what we call the southbound interface. So the southbound interface coming out of the controller is going to talk to your network devices and tell those network devices what they're going to do. And that's where I come where I come up with the facetious name of Netpocalypse, the network apocalypse, rather. Um, because instead of how I've learned how to do it 20 years ago and built a career out of, you know, being a Cisco guy and, you know, knowing how to program routers and switches and turn all the knobs, like very difficult configurations work on each individual device. Now, instead of programming each individual device, you're going to put the, you could put the functionality just in the controller and you'd have minimum configuration, minimum intelligence in your network devices. So now, Instead of uh, that network guy being so busy with all of those with all of his network infrastructure, well, now you just simplify things down to one place where all the config is, and then we're really uh, where things really get into start cranking up to what to where the the pressures on the network guy is that is what we call the northbound interface, and that northbound interface could be talking to an application. And you could have an application where you you really take it up to another level, where there's an where an application could have policy defined that is that is going to drive the controller, which in turn drives the network devices. So you could have an application developer who might not be a network guru, and that application developer is going is going to define and drive policy for your network of how that network is going to function. And a good example of where I can see in greenfield deployments that would make sense for SDM would be uh, our previous earlier conversation with the Internet of Things, where there's new applications that are going to be that are def- driving the need for, say, a fall computing network that is going to provide commun- communication. Transport for Internet of Things sensors, other specialized devices. You could have that all built out, say in SDN, where you have your application. Your say your say an application is going to drive the controller and define how the network is going to operate and how different ILT sensors are going to communicate and have that pushed out to your SDN switches. So if you look at it from a flowchart standpoint or, or a uh, waterfall, you have your, your say, an application server that talks to a controller, and then the controller would talk to the network devices. And all of the policy is coming from north in the network instead of programming all of those individual devices now. The intelligence is being centralized, basically. And so from a no-school network guy standpoint, that's too young to retire, I see this as very disruptive it makes me very glad that I've transitioned to being a uh, red team guy for my career because it's going to get really interesting for all of us old school network guys that only wanted program routers and switches for a living because now we're going to have to become going to uh, retool ourselves and get really good with programming and be able to communicate with application developers and like go and uh, get into Python or Java or whatever, some other language. So and also pick up, get really good, at, if you're not already on the track, to become really good at, like, Linux that the controller is probably going to be running on, and also, you know, virtual, and also whatever virtualization environment you're going to be in that those controllers might be uh, hosted in. 
Because it's going it's to be very, very disruptive to old school network guys. I would I would lock in what's fits and happening to the IT industry is what what happened with imagine what voiceover IP did to PBXs. SDN is a, going to do that to traditional networks. That that's what I see coming. And, you know, and I just read I believe Avaya is uh, about to uh, file bankruptcy. You remember Avaya was a huge traditional PBX company. You know they were. They were one of the go-to companies. And you know, look at what happened there. It's it's going to SDN is going to be extremely disruptive to to network folks if they do not retool and learn new skills like uh, Python and uh, application development. In my opinion, like I said, I'm, a, I'm 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 glad I'm pivoting to being a red team guy. Yeah, and, and from a security standpoint, it's awesome because now you know things are there's going to be this whole new world. Uh, uh, security architectures of uh, you know with, with software defined networking, being able to go and implement software defined uh, techniques for load balancers, for the firewalls, for the IDSs. Uh, there's going to be all new network architectures, so there is going to be a lot of work for for network people still out there. It's just that traditional mundane tasks are going to be automated, and there's not going to be a need for for you know a guy who like you know my old my old the previous version of my career where I could go sit somewhere and just program routers and switches all day well well now I'm going I might be doing some python scripting and architecting uh, working with application developers to get the network automated and I'm really I'm kind of really excited about where things can go from a network architecture standpoint cuz imagine that we have these networks if we go software defined networking and your IDSs, your firewalls, your VPNs, your uh, load balancers are all intelligent, and you have this ability to centralize the control. Think about from a uh, a being able to dynamically secure the network and being able to drive a new policy based on threat across the whole network uh, dynamically uh, from one centralized console. It's going to be it, it, there's going to be some some really cool uh, security capabilities come out of this over time, but it's going to be very disruptive for those who do not keep their skills up to date and keep learning. Uh, now, one of the things that I would encourage people to do that are, that it may not be uh, up to date and in the know on SDN, or they're you know you're just wanting to learn uh, more about it and get some hands-on experience. You can download, like I mentioned, you can download uh, the Open Daylight controller. You can download ONOS. Those are uh, two big, you know, open source distros for the controller that you can freely download. And then the next question is, okay, I got a controller. Well, what about a switch? Well, the next thing you can do is you can go download MiniNet, M-I-N-I Net. You can go download MiniNet, and MiniNet has switches virtual switches that you can control with a controller and MiniNet itself also has a controller in it so you can go download the VM for MiniNet and it'll fire up an environment that has switches and a controller so that you can go learn OpenFlow and learn how SDN actually works all in a VM environment so that you can start building up your skills whether you're a an old-school network guy like myself Who's trying to keep up to date, or if you're, uh, you know, someone that's just trying to uh, get better educated and are curious, maybe you're a programmer, 
Maybe you're a junior IT analyst of some kind, and you just want to get learn you know, more about networking. Well, go check out Mininet uh, and uh, Open Daylight and ONOS, and there's a ton of videos on YouTube that take you step by step through this technology of uh, how how it works. And there's also a gentleman, uh, Yvonne. I won't butcher his last name. Yvonne, uh, his, um, he's got a blog and a website called iOS Hints, and you can follow him on Twitter at iOS Hints. Uh, and Yvonne is just a brilliant network engineer. Just He's one of the top network engineers in the world. He's one of the guys that I go and read his stuff to go learn uh, how much I still do not know about networking. And he has a lot of videos on YouTube, and he has a very strong uh, website uh, with tons of information on SDN. That's a really good resource that I could recommend to you. Uh, and also, if you want a piece of hardware, if you want a hardware-based SDN switch, go check out Northbound Networks. Northbound Networks out of Australia has developed a very cheap, low-cost SDN switch. It's a four-port switch about the size of a Raspberry Pi. It, it, uh, and I highly recommend you go check that out and maybe get you a, a, a Zodiac FX uh, SDN switch from Northbound Networks. Just go out and Google Zodiac FX uh, and Northbound Networks and they'll take you to their site. It's a brand new switch. It's been out there. For, it did a Kickstarter maybe a year ago. Uh, and you can, uh, I, you, get, you know, very economically get a four-port SDN switch, and then you can go and use your Open Daylight or the ONOS or other controllers that you can download, and you can start playing with SDN OpenFlow, the OpenFlow protocol, and start learning more about SDN. Start start getting yourself in the know on it. Awesome. That's um, a plethora of information. I'm going to have links to everything in the show notes. Uh, so here's my initial question that comes from uh, the thought of SDN and the possibility of virtualizing network architecture. Uh, obviously, this has implications into your business continuity and disaster recovery planning. Uh, do you see any drawbacks in, in the business continuity and disaster recovery side of it uh, in that sense? Well, you need to to go back to fundamental systems engineering and look at the you know the whole redundancy of hardware and software and the software functionality that's going to be virtualized. So, so you bring up a really good point. What what if you have one you you go to say if you go to an SDN network and you have an SDN controller and you run it in a virtual environment? What if what if the network crashes you have uh, in what if that server crashes that the SD that's got the SDN controller? Uh, how's the network going to come up if the controller's down? You know, you got you got that sing, you got that single point of failure where so you're going to need to make sure that you have an architecture where you have redundant servers. You got you know you got a, a good failover and you've got you know uh, your infrastructure distributed uh, and ha have that all thought out. So, you know, what if I lose a server? What if I lose, you know, if I have a software bug, you know, in the, you know, maybe the hypervisor, maybe if the hypervisor crashes, 
on this system, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, you're going to have to have that redundancy and that failover and think that all the way through. But I'm a big proponent of uh, the the SDN, Google, I believe Amazon, Microsoft. And, and, that, and that just triggers, triggers something with me. I, I have no experience with it outside of just uh, reading a little bit about it. But I believe Microsoft is adding a SDN controller to Windows Server. I know uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are Microsoft gurus. They may want to go check that out. But uh, I, I read I read not too long ago where Microsoft was adding a SDN controller capability to the server. So this is being rolled out, and you're going you're going to be able to roll out a robust architect for SDN. You know, for the whole continue with the whole continued. Uh, continuation of operation in case there's a disaster it's it's not going to be hard to do it's just like anything you've got to think it out Arch- you know, think it out architect it and test it and verify that it's going to work as expected under under the various scenarios just don't assume it's going to work actually test it and uh, see how the network how the network fail you know how the network's going to operate in case there is a failure you know whether it's in the the uh, hypervisor or hardware what have you we're going to be able to build some really robust networks. And another architecture to be considered is Cisco's got an architecture for SDN. It's more dependent on their hardware. It's not. It's it's more of a a closed environment, but it's very robust. It's a very robust solution that they have. So you have the Cisco solution. You have VMware's got a solution. It's pure software. Cisco's got a solution that's based on their hardware, their Nexus product line. And then you've got the, all of the open source efforts based around OpenFlow. And uh, you've got HP, you know, Brocade, Juniper, Cisco. They're all lots of players and there's in this uh, domain. And there's a lot of startups like Big Switch. Uh, Arista is obviously a player in it. So, so. But it's happening. It's going to happen. So with the software-defined networking, and obviously you're, you're virtualizing certain things in instances, and you know we've kind of talked about what happens when the server running the, the instance crashes. Is this something you could drop up in like AWS or uh, Azure or uh, a, a similar cloud provider uh, for that redundant capability, or could you just host your, your SDN from the cloud and not have to ever have it on site? Well, if you have the if you have the bandwidth, it, it, you know that's that. Uh, there's always that you know quote depends. Uh, you know what kind of infrastructure you have going into the cloud, how robust your WAN connections are. I, I could I could see some organizations, especially for disaster recovery, if nothing else, may want to have a redundant controller in the cloud. You know that you could uh, get back to say using a maybe an SD WAN solution, software defined WAN. Now that's something that's fit, that's coming on really uh, fast. I'm is a software defined WAN, kind of basically like SDN. It's a there's a, about about twenty vendors out there right now, startups in this whole SD SD uh, WAN effort. Were because we've been talking. A, when we were talking SDN earlier, I was talking about the typical LAN environment, the LAN, you know, maybe, uh, or data center. But there's a, also a similar push that's happening for the WAN, and that's happening, and it's happening now, and it's happening very, very fast. 
because and it's going to save organizations a ton of money in hardware cost because instead of having to put uh, buy routers with a whole lot of code and software and license features that they don't need, you can go get a low cost solution from one of these one of these twenty vendors. Not there's two or three that I would that you probably that you probably want to consider that are going to be here tomorrow if you're going to go and jump into this. The SDN WAN is still going to have is going to similarly have a centralized control and policy and monitoring and management capability, and you're going to be able to go and throw out low cost equipment. Basically, probably going to be something based on an ARM processor or an Intel processor that you're going to throw out at your remotes and it's going to be a fraction of the cost of, of say what a traditional router would be for your WAN sites. I can see those technologies being leveraged up into the cloud as well. Enable your redundancy for different disaster scenarios. Excellent. Do you foresee let's go ahead and stare in the crystal ball for a second. Do you foresee SDN being something that we'll see in homes in the next five years? I don't know if you're going to see it. I, I, I don't think you're going to see it in someone's home outside of you know, people's labs. Uh, but I, I can see SDN being used in the future for uh, critical infrastructure. That I could easily see where there's going to be applications for, say, smart grid, uh, for uh, municipal applications where you know everything from smart meters to street lights the whole the whole internet of things for say a smart city i i, I can i can see where you're where it's going to touch the home from uh, the from uh, the municipal utility public's works standpoint you're you're more forward thinking cities municipal governments uh that are I could see them taking advantage of SDN with the whole uh, industrial control system slash SCADA slash Internet of Things type solutions that are going to be deployed. You know, like like I said, you got the you know the smart street lights and all the uh, you got you know you got the smart meters and all those technologies that are going to get rolled out. I could see SDN being used for the to control those networks uh, that would be touching homes. Excellent. So. <laughs> The final question before we end this segment, uh, you've already kind of touched on it, but for someone that really wants to get into uh, software-defined networking, where should they start, and what advice do you have? Uh, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you're going to, if you, the cheapest, quickest way to, is go download Mininet. Go download Go download a uh, VM of Mininet and get on YouTube. Tons and tons of videos and free information. Uh, if you want to, to dive deeper, check out the uh, blog site for uh, Yvonne has for iOS hints, and and if you want to know what's happening uh, from the standards bodies, the guy, all the the uh, the, the uh, vendors and 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 academia that's uh, contributing to these standards, go check out the Open Network Foundation. Uh, just go out to OpenNetworking.org. If you go out to OpenNetworking.org, there is a ton of information, tons of papers on what's happening in the uh, SDN community uh, and with with OpenFlow. And then you could also go out to your different, you know, your favorite vendors, your HP, your Juniper, Cisco, uh, Arista, whatever vendor Kool Aid you might drink uh, prefer and see what they're doing with the solution. But if you just want to get started, 
and get yourself educated, go get a hold of Mininet. And if you want a piece of hardware, I highly encourage you to go check out the Zodiac FX switch from Northbound Networks and start playing with this because uh, it's coming. It's coming. It, there's people rolling this out. It's happening on the WAN with SDM, SD WAN. And it's happening in the data centers. The big cloud providers are uh, rolling this out. And and uh, go get yourself spun up on it. You know, like I said, if you're a hardcore Microsoft person, maybe you're not into Linux, go check out what Microsoft's doing with this domain. Like I said, I just read the other day where they're doing something with an SDN controller that's going to be integrated into Windows. Awesome. I, I can't agree more. Um, so on that note, we're going to take our final break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to say goodbye to Paul. And he's going to tell us how to contact him and reiterate the details of B-Sides Huntsville. So stay tuned. Don't forget to check out our blog at advancedpersistentsecurity.net slash blog. Follow us on Twitter at advpersistentsec and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash advancedpersistentsecurity. Thank you for weathering the storm of the break. With me this evening is Paul Coggan, Bubasek himself. We've talked about the Internet of Things, software-defined networking, and most importantly, besides Huntsville. So at this time, Paul, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. I'd like for you to tell us how to contact you. Uh, um, give us a rundown of B-Sides Huntsville again. Um, tell us how you became the king of Bubasek. And then um, provide some uh, advice for both the up-and-coming and the seasoned security professional. The floor is yours. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me, you can hit me on email at gpcoggin at gmail.com or gpcoggin at yahoo.com. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn or uh, on Twitter at Paul Coggin. Uh, Twitter's the uh, fastest way probably to hit me. Uh, welcome everyone to uh, attend B-Sides Huntsville on February the 4th uh, at Huntsville, Alabama at the uh, Dynetics Solutions Complex building. Uh, it's going to start around 8.30, run to around 4.35. Uh, like I said, we've got around uh, 16 speakers, two tracks. It's going to be a, a really good day with a lot of good talks, a lot of good information sharing, and all the Krispy Kreme donuts and Papa John's pizza that you can stand eat. Uh, and uh, it, if you're interested in uh, software-defined networking, like I mentioned, you go check out the... Highly encourage you to go and check out the Zodiac FX four-port switch. Look at Mininet. Uh, the Open Daylight Controller, ONOS. Those are some good tools. Uh, free, except for uh, the Zodiac FX, and it is really cheap, uh, like Raspberry Pi type cheap. Uh, that you can you know, get you some hardware so you can start learning SDN. Uh, and uh, encourage you to check that out and also start reading up on uh, preparing for the SD WAN as well when you're... Uh, researching SDN if you're interested in that. Okay. Uh, what advice do you have for just someone looking to break into information security? The, be the best thing to do is don't try to specialize too early. Go and get as much breath as you can. Learn Windows, learn Linux, learn networking, learn routing and switching. 
get a solid, deep foundation and get really good footers for your career belt. Don't be a uh, one-legged, two-legged stool. Go and uh, get as much breath and then find out what area you're most passionate about and then build on it. That's what worked for me. I started out as a Windows admin, doing Windows and, uh, and with a little bit of uh, Unix. And then moved in from Windows to Solaris. And from and then I uh, got into databases. And then from that, moved into to hardcore networking and then on to security. And out of that, I discovered that my passion was networking. And then went off into security where now my passion is uh, literally uh, securing the network infrastructure and protocols, except having that good foundation in operating systems, integrating applications, databases, in addition to the network, has really helped me see the big picture uh, from a security standpoint today. So now when I go and try to break into networks, I understand how the whole big picture works and how to go and exploit those trust relationships against the whole stack. Go, go and build your career. It'll help you if you go and build your career and you've got some experience in the whole OSI model. You know, always bring everybody back to the OSI model. Go and then go and get get some skills and experience and knowledge either through academics, formal academics through school, cert professional certifications, hands on, and learn the whole the whole OSI model, uh, and uh, and the technologies and how it all integrates for the whole stack, and then find then find out what you're most passionate about, and then go and and then go focus on that. You know, maybe it's maybe it's applications, maybe it's network networks network protocols like myself. But that, that's that's just how I attacked my career, and it worked for me. There's many ways to go about it, but um, but that's just that's how I that's how I uh, got started. This worked well for me. Excellent, and thank you for taking the time out of your day to record with us. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at c underscore three p joe. Uh, the podcast at adv persist sec. Uh, the website is advancedpersistentsecurity.net. Uh, we're on all social media platforms. If you like this podcast, uh, we don't have a Patreon or anything of the sort, but please uh, like us, love us, give us favorable reviews, five-star reviews, and what have you. We're on uh, basically every imaginable platform, iTunes, uh, Google Play Store, Blueberry Network, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, I believe SoundCloud as well. Um and if you have anything that you want us to talk about or any questions, uh, email them to podcast at advancedpersistentsecurity.net. Thank you for listening to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. Until next time, stay secure and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.